Good morning, everyone. As you probably noticed, we're coming to the Christmas season, and there might be lots of opportunities for you to talk to people about Jesus coming in the next few days. And so my goal for today is that we would all be really clear on why Jesus came, so that if we have an opportunity to talk about it, we can do so clearly. Also to be encouraged ourselves and to honour Jesus at this time and put the spotlight on him. Here's the outline. Birth of Jesus. We're going to look at the story. We're going to look how all the ages had been waiting for this event. Then we're going to have two questions. Why did he have to become a human? And what does it matter to you and me? Now I have my picture And I want you to tell me, point out anything that's not perfectly historical in this picture. Anything that you can see that's not perfectly historical. The bunny, okay. No record of bunnies in Luke or, yeah. What else? Well, there's halos. Notice that Jesus has got a halo. And uh, so so is the angel. Anything else? Mistletoe? Actually, I think it's holly. But yeah, probably not native to Palestine as far as I know. Chicks? Yeah, they're there as well. Anything else? They look like children. They're all kids. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and of course the drapes around the side. So, um, <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, look, we're going to read Luke's account. I'm going to ask Naveen to come out now and read Luke's account of Jesus' birth. So we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 2. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to register all the empire for taxes. This was the first registration taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone went to his own town to be registered. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was of the house and family line of David. He went to be registered with Mary, who was promised in marriage to him and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now there were shepherds living Nearby, living out in the field, keeping guard over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were absolutely terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Pay attention. I proclaim to you good news that brings great joy to all the people. For to you is born this day a Savior, who is Christ the Lord in the city of David. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a vast heavenly army appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among people in whom he takes pleasure. When the angels left them and went back to heaven, the governor, the the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place that the Lord has made known to us. 
So they hurried off and located Mary and Joseph and found the baby lying in a manger. When they saw him, they related what they had been told about this child and all who heard it were astonished at what the shepherds said. But Mary treasured up all these words, pondering in her heart what they might mean. So the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Everything was just as they had been told. So um, that's the account in Luke's Gospel. And I've got some questions to ask about that that we can be thinking about. So, um, sorry, I'm missing, there we go. Some questions to ask. Uh, first of all, why go to Bethlehem? Can somebody tell me? Why, why would Joseph and Mary have to go to Bethlehem? I'm going to need you to be interactive today, so speak up. There was a census. So why did they have to go to Bethlehem? Because they were from Galilee. Okay, so their their family town was from Bethlehem. That's where they were derived originally. The family was from Bethlehem, and that's where they had to go there. So why was the family from Bethlehem? They were from the line of David. And the important thing is that we sometimes miss this, that Jesus technically was the rightful king. Technically, if you look down the line, who was due to be king next in the line of David, it would have been Jesus. This is why Herod was so scared. Because actually, Jesus was the legitimate king. And there were many prophecies about this Messiah, this coming one, who would be in the line of David. So, um, so let me ask you then, uh, where, where did they actually sleep? Like we saw that little picture with the curtains and so on and the, and the hay. Where, where did they, did anybody know where they actually slept? Leaving aside the myths? It was probably a cave, yes. Because, uh, that would be a very easy way of providing a place for animals to be rounded, to, to be brought in at night time, and uh, they didn't build stables like we have nowadays. They didn't do that. Sometimes it was in an, something attached to the home, but whatever it was, the ancient sources we have suggest it was a cave. Whatever it was, it was an incredibly unhygienic and um, dirty place to live with the animals, and we're told that Jesus was laid in a manger, and that word has changed its meaning. Would you know what manger means? Somebody French can probably tell me. Hmm? Yeah, manger is the French to eat. It actually means it's a feeding trough for the animals. It's like where you you put where their food goes. You know, it's not like nowadays in these beautiful little mangers you buy from a from a, a store. It's 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 really dirty, and. Uh, the, the, the Christmas cards that we get with this wooden stable are just completely out of line. And actually, it's important. It's serious because um, what the Bible is saying is that Jesus had the most humble of births. Now, why was that important that Jesus should be born in such such a lowly, humble place? Why was that important? To relate to us 
Yes, that's right. That's very good. That's that's uh, very important. But partly, I would say, uh, building on that, is because these are the people he came to save. It's people. It's it's like right down to the the poorest in society. But one more thing, which is slightly shocking, is that Jesus came as a revelation of God, and God is humble. Now, you might say, well, what does God have to be humble about? And that's a good question. Nothing, really. But we read, he's humble. The Old Testament says, walk humbly with your God. What does that mean? Well, this is what it, this is what it looks like. It's a revelation of God. Quite extraordinary. So, uh, next question. Why did God announce this to the shepherds? Why do you announce it to shepherds? You know, we have a romantic view of shepherds in, in our days. You know, they, we see them with a lamb in their arms. But actually, they were, they were dirty. They slept outside with the animals. In fact, the Pharisees believed they were never hygienic enough to even worship God. You know, they had to spend their whole lives without coming to the temple. They were generally considered thieves by society. Uh, not just the Pharisees, but everybody looked down on them, outcasts from normal society. So uh, when the angels appeared to the shepherds, it wasn't like a message to the cute people who lived with the lambs on the hills. This was to the bottom. This was to the people living rough. And this is who he appeared to. So given that information, why them? Why the shepherds? Can you tell me? Why announce it to shepherds? We miss this in our current cultural view of shepherds. Announcing it to shepherds would be like equivalent to announcing it to the homeless people sleeping rough at night. That's what the equivalent would be in our society. And once again, it's because God is showing who he has come for and that he himself is humble. So... um uh, one more question here. Why were they afraid of this angel? And you saw what the angel looked like, looked like a little baby with cute wings and a halo. And why were they afraid of this, this, this angel? Well, let me give you another description of what an angel really looks like. Um, this is Revelation 10, 1 to 3. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. And he set his right foot on the sea, and his left foot on the land, and he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. So, I imagine like this angel must have been so large, like he could sit astride, could stand astride sea and land. This is a real angel. Would you be terrified? This is one of my favorite angels in the Bible. Would you be terrified if you saw one of these? I think so. I think so. So this is probably the kind of angel that like hundreds of feet high, like voice like echoing through the hills that they saw. Um, so, okay, here's some more questions, and we should ask questions of the scripture when we read it. So here's some more. Why did the angel say, to you is born? Like, he didn't say, he's born. He said, to you is born. Can you tell me? Who's the, who's the you? The shepherds, yes. So what did he mean by that? It's, it's, I, I mean, it's, Fairly clear, I think, he's born for the people he's speaking to, for this kind of person, and he's born to you this morning. 
here, right now. He's born for you. Um, then what would they understand by a saviour who is Christ the Lord? Again, we would miss the shock value of this in our culture. What does what would they understand at that time by this expression, a saviour who is Christ the Lord? Anybody know what Christ means? Christ is a Greek word. It's a translation of a Hebrew word. Messiah. So, literally, a saviour who is Messiah, and what's the Lord? The Lord was a common name for God. So he's saying, here's a saviour who's the Messiah and God. Wow, this is extraordinary. Here's the one who's been waiting for over a thousand years and he's coming. But then this is the announcement. What did they see when they actually saw this Jesus? Uh, nothing special. No baby with a glowing light around their head. They were probably really shocked when they saw the poverty and the ordinariness of this baby. But nevertheless, they were told they'd seen an angel, so they believed. There was an astonishment. This isn't how they expected a Messiah. Now, can you imagine how this felt to Joseph and Mary? Because they hadn't heard from God for a while. And they'd gone to this place and like, what's happening, God? This is supposed to, you told us this would be the savior. And then all of these shepherds appear saying they'd seen an angel saying this was, you know, this was the Christ. So it must have been so comforting for Mary at this time and for Joseph to, to, to have these visitors and to have this truth supported. So that's what they saw when they found Jesus. So uh, I want to say then that this, um, okay, now I've got one more question here. Yeah, actually, where are we, where are we? No, why did Jesus have to become a human? We're going to come to that in just a minute and how we respond. Okay, um, let's just go back. So I want to say that this was the event that the ages had been waiting for. Um, this is what, right from the, from Eve, Eve was promised that one would come from her descendants who would destroy the serpent. And then we have a promise, we have what we call the golden thread of promises through the Bible. Abraham's given a promise, a similar one. Um, Moses is given a promise, and we're told there's going to be a prophet like Moses who's coming. And then David is given a promise that from his line, not just from Eve, but from his line, the Savior is going to come and he's going to be a king like him. And then Isaiah tells us more, the suffering servant, the one who's going to carry us uh, with his stripes, we're going to be healed. And then many other prophets building up on the excitement and the expectation as this golden thread of promises gets bigger. And uh, some said, there's going to be a high priest coming who's going to stand like the high priest, but he's going to be the priest of all priests who will wipe away your sins. Some said there'll be a prophet like Moses, but a greater prophet. Some said there's a king coming like David, but he will put everything right. And you know, in Jesus' time, there was a really heightened expectation the Messiah was going to come. People were talking about it, particularly the religious, religious communities. And out in the desert... There was a community called the Qumran, 
And they, the SNs they were called, and they had, um, were so sure of Jesus, well, sorry, the Messiah was about to come, they were all getting ready. But they'd studied the Old Testament and they could got, got themselves convinced that there were actually going to be three Messiahs. One would be the perfect priest, one would be the perfect king, and one would be the perfect prophet. That's actually what we can read in their writings. Isn't that extraordinary? And the amazing thing is these were all wrapped up in one person. But one of the things that they could not have speculated, even if they'd read the Bible perfectly, that actually God would become human. Because that was something that was, wow, beyond all expectation. And this really, this is one of the features of prophecy. Prophecy very, very often has a fulfillment which is in another level better than what the prophecy says. So, for example, in 1 Corinthians 2, we read, Things that no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor mind imagined are the things God has prepared for those who love him. And this encourages me about what God has for us in the future, because the prophecies that we have are like the Old Testament prophecies. They're good, they're true, but the reality is going to be more than we can imagine. So when Jesus came, he fulfilled all the prophecies, but God becoming human was way above what they could have predicted. So this raises the question then, why did Jesus have to become a human? Why did Jesus have to become a human? Well, actually, how could God become human? Like, God's infinite in just about every way. Infinite in his power, his knowledge, in, in time, in space, in his love and creativity. God is infinite. And we are limited in almost every way. Uh, how could God become man? Well, the important thing is that Jesus didn't lose his Godhead, but he just took on something else in a way that in some ways we can't understand. If we try and fit it together, we'll lose something of it. But he was not blended together in some sort of bibline mix. He wasn't, he wasn't, um, like sometimes God and sometimes man, but he was truly human and divine as he lived his life. But one of the things he did, although at any time he could have done, he could have acted as God, he chose to do his supernatural actions in dependence on the spirit as a human. So when when uh, Jesus did things like healing people, he did them as a human in order to, to show us, to set an example for us. That So Satan te- tempted him, if you remember, to turn, to turn stones into bread. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that because the father hasn't directed me to do that. So Jesus, although he was divine at any time, could have called down legions of angels from heaven, he worked, he walked, deliberately limiting himself to what a human could do so he could demonstrate for us what it looked like to be a perfect human. So this was voluntary. Um, So why did he have to become a man? Why did he have to do that? Uh, well, we can think of some analogies. You know, if there's a house that's on fire 
and there are people trapped inside, the, 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 uh, the firemen have to actually go in to get them to rescue it. They can't kind of do it remotely, at least not at the moment. Maybe sometime they have a drone that can go in and rescue them. But, but right now, they actually have to go in and rescue these people. Uh, if you see somebody drowning out to sea, then you have to go out there, either swimming out or in a boat. But somebody has to go out to, into the place where they are to rescue them. Um, and Jesus... Uh, accomplished two things by coming to earth and dying on the cross. Uh, he enabled our sins to be forgiven, and then he set us free and gave us power. So there's guilt and there's taken away and power given. So let me ask a question then about forgiveness of sins, because this is, this is really, really important. And I think um, a lot of people don't understand exactly how this happened. Now, Isaiah says to us that he was wounded for our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. Uh, um, We often put salvation, we often describe salvation like this, um, supposing uh, somebody has broken the law, let's say, so let's, um, I'm I'm actually going to get um, Naveen to come out again. He's working hard today, so I'm going to go. Now, Naveen is parked in the wrong place. And uh, he's he's given a fine, and uh, he has to pay the, the cost of his fine. But you know, what I say, Naveen, it's okay. Here you go. Here's um here's here's fifty bucks for your um parking. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. So so we can do that, right? Okay, that's we can do that. No, you're not. You can't go back yet. You've got to come out here. All right. And um, so um, so. Supposing he'd actually done something far more serious than that. Supposing he'd tried to kill the prime minister, okay, and he's going to send to, sent to jail. Can I go to jail in this place under our legal system? No, no, I can't. So there's a problem. And often we portray what Jesus did for us in terms of like just giving us the price and we go free. But actually our problem is more serious than that. And Jesus could have done that from heaven, like he could have given us, well, maybe he but anyway, what Jesus had to do was much more serious than that. And so I'm going to ask Myrtle to come out now. Are you okay with that? Okay, right. So Myrtle is going to represent Jesus. <laughs> you come and stand over here. Over here, that's right. Now, I want both, you both to put your arms out here. Arms out like that. Now, what I'm going to do, I've got a big rubber band here. I'm going to join you together. I can put your hand down now. Now, what Jesus did is he joined himself to us so that whatever happens to us, inevitably, what happens to Jesus happens to us. So when Jesus died on the cross, there was a kind of unity that in some ways we were actually there. In some ways, we were hanging on the cross. Paul actually phrases it like that. You died with him. You were buried with him. And so he, he actually, in some way that we don't completely understand, there was a unity and there still is a unity. This is the heart of the gospel. This is why what Jesus did, he had to become just like us. And um, you you, um, you may have, have uh, I don't know if any of you done any mountain climbing or rock climbing or anything like that, but you know, when it's serious like this, you have to be roped together. Because if one person falls, then the others have to hold them. Now, imagine you're roped to Jesus, and this is Jesus here, and this is an unbreakable band, 
And so nothing can possibly happen wrong to Naveen because he is, he is attached. So when Jesus rose from the dead, we are raised to new life because we are attached to him. So his destiny, he right now, he's seated at the right hand of God. And Paul says, you are in Christ. You are, in fact, in some way seated with him right now. And so your destiny is permanently and inextricably attached to Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Like, you can probably hear I'm excited now. Okay, you can go now. <laughs> Thank you. You can probably hear I'm excited now because I, this gets me, this is probably the thing that gets me so excited to think that I'm joined to Jesus. And nothing can separate him from me. And his destiny and mine are permanently linked that nothing can break apart. Wow. So that is how he forgave our sins. That is how. But that doesn't just, that's the sin part. But the power part, the power that he received being raised from the dead, the new life, um, we, we, use, we, we talk about it being born from above. It's a new birth. We're born. The life of God is born into us. We become this new creation. So this is how Jesus forgave our sins. Um, so, uh, So the only way for God to help us was literally to get his hand dirty, become a human. And at the moment we become a Christian, we become inseparably linked by this, this rope, this connection to Jesus. He defeated death, so, so do we. He is beloved of the Father, so are we. He has been through God's judgment and survived and come out the other side, and so are we. He is pure and spotless, and so are we. And... Uh, then I said also the other part is him setting us free and he wants a relationship with us and he wants us to be in this permanent connection with us. And often I think preachers have so short changed the gospel by just presenting it as a way of getting out of hell. And of course that is important, but it's, it's only part of the story and being saved is the power of sin is broken over you. You still sin, sin still has some power, but ultimately you have the power to resist sin now. You have the power of God in you because Jesus is alive in you. And Romans 8 verse 2 says, the spirit of life in Christ has set us free from the forces of sin and death. The spirit of life in Christ, because he's in us, has set us free from this, this uh, sin and death, that would not have been possible had Jesus not become human. So that's why Jesus had to become human. So we've looked at the story, how all the ages have been waiting for this. We've looked at why he had to become human. And my last point is, what, what does it matter to you and me? He came so far and suffered so much in order to save us. How he was, was he received? Was he welcome with open arms? No, he was not. He came humbly, but then he was treated so badly. And the real question then is how do you and I treat him?
How do you and I, do we receive him? And uh, this is the, the question I won't end up this morning. Jesus was not received well. The shepherds received him, but many others didn't receive him when he came to this earth. How do you receive him? And um, Luke 2.11 said, The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, pay attention. I proclaim to you good news. And this, this morning, this news is being proclaimed to us. I'm telling you this good news. And if you are listening to this this morning, and Jesus is not your savior, then I implore you, I beg of you, ask him and just humbly come to him and say, I need you. I can't make it myself. I need you, Jesus. And then ask him to join the rope to you. And he will. He will join that rope. And in the joining of that rope, your sins will be gone and your future will be secure. You become part of his family. And as you're joined to him, his new life will flow into you and you will want to do what pleases him. Now, of course, you, some people say, might say, well, I'll lose my freedom if I'm joined to Jesus. Yes, you will lose your freedom, but actually you don't have freedom now. You're a slave to an old way of behaving. And in fact, you become truly free to become what humans were designed to be originally, people full of love and reflecting God. So you may lose a certain kind of freedom to gain true freedom. He's come so far for you. Will you reject him now? Um, I, I saw a, a candid camera video where they did a, an experiment in a, in a mall. They put a big bowl with dollar bills in it. This was in the US. There were dollar bills and there was a sign up saying, dollar bills, please take one. And do you know how many people took the dollar bill? None of them. Nobody apart from one kid came and took a dollar bill. That was all. Why? Because we are so suspicious of something that's free. We just don't believe it. What's the catch? We immediately say, uh, there is no catch. This is the perfect gift. This is the gift that he comes to offer freely at such expense. So I want to, to I'm going to pray together in just a moment, and we're going to pray in just a second to, uh, for any of you, any of us who have not accepted Jesus, to pray, to ask him to. But also, I want us to honour him this morning. And this morning, I've been trying to put the spotlight on Jesus. And if there's one thing I want you to remember this morning from what I've been saying, is I want you to just have goosebumps when you think of what Jesus did. I just want you to think, wow, he did that. He took on humanity just because he loves me. He loves others. I want you just to be amazed and awed as we put the spotlight on Jesus this morning. So let's pray, shall we? Thank you, Father, for sending your son. Thank you, Jesus, for for giving up so much for us and taking on our humanity forever. And Jesus, for those of us who may be listening to this right now, who have not taken you on, as their saviour, who have not come to you and said, please, would you join yourself to me and pull me up out of this lostness that I'm in and take away my sin. Please, Lord, hear any now who are crying that prayer to you. Hear it. 
answer them and bring them into your kingdom forever. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for coming for us. Amen.